BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everybody. We are here today zooming in with Dr. Manib Shah. You might know him because he's quite famous. Um, He's better known as the Derm Doctor. He's a board certified dermatologist with expertise in medical, cosmetic and procedural dermatology. Dr. Shah aims to educate people across the globe on basic dermatology and skin care to empower them to make informed decisions about their skin health. He has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Allure, Cosmopolitan, and Vogue, just to name a few. And you guys can join his 18 million followers on TikTok by following at Derm Doctor. And then you're also on Instagram as well. And is that at Derm Doctor as well there? No, someone someone jacked my oh, handle. Give so it back. It's Dr. Lee. <laughs> it's Dr. Lee. squatting on the Derm Doctor. So it's Dr. Lee, doctor with an L-Y. Okay. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I got to tell you, I was just flipping through the TikTok before we were, hopped on with you. And I was I had to like close one. I couldn't bear some of the stuff that you post. It's so graphic. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And TikTok is starting to ban that really graphic content, which is unfortunate. But I always say my TikTok is like a derm office where you never know what's going to be behind the door when a patient comes into the office. And so we see all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, sometimes it's fun, it's clean, cosmetic stuff. And then other times it's like maggots in a toe. So you just never know. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you got to have a strong stomach for that. I mean... I, I read that you were magna cum laude. I think you, it was Hofstra University. I'm like, this guy is also just really bright. But I think it just takes a certain type of a person to be able to stomach that. I think I might pass out. Is there anything that you that somebody because I know it's your followers send you videos and then you kind of rate them and comment on them. Is there anything that anybody sent you that you were like, this is even just too much for me to post? <laughs> Yeah, so I don't. So people, there's a lot of animal stuff that shows up oh. on on TikTok. <laughs> so like weird cysts or things in animal teeth. And first of all, I don't know anything about that world. I'm not a veterinarian, but also that stuff really grosses me out. So anything animal related, I just won't touch it. Oh, interesting. Do you ever get? Do you ever get people who are like fangirling? So for example, my father-in-law, he's one of those people that loves like pimple popping videos. He'll just sit there and watch it. I'm like cringing, but that's like a whole niche market and people love it. Do you ever get people that like fangirl when they see you? Oh yeah. So there's the the interesting thing is because I make so much different type of content. Like Mm -hmm. on YouTube, we only do skincare education or dermatology education stuff. Instagram is definitely much more tame than TikTok. So you just never know like the people who come up to me, which group they're coming from. So I always ask 
So there is that like pimple popping population that watches all those videos and they love them. And I don't know why. It's almost like an ASMR <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, they totally. Like love the release of these pimple pops. But yeah, for sure. Like in in the range of people that come up is is interesting. It could be like so an 18 year old guy who just got into skincare and is saying like, I watch your videos because I didn't know anything about skincare to, you know, a 75 year old woman who likes pimple pops. So it's just yeah. it's an amazing range of people. I hear it's like calming for them, like a re- way to relax. I, I I don't know. I do it for as a, as a job, so I don't know yeah. like, the viewer why they love it so it much. It wasn't a fetish that carried you through to... med school. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm so excited. We have tons of questions for you. And this is kind of like what we love. We love skincare. We love the procedures. We, we love all things germ. And so I just had a baby. I'm six weeks postpartum with my third. So I kind of wanted to dive deep into just to start kind of the questions moms or pregnant women might have. So for example, what is what are some procedures or creams, if any, or do your genes play a role in stretch marks and cellulite on the skin? Yeah, genes play a big role. Anytime a doctor says genes play a big role, it means we have no idea yeah. why certain <laughs> people get it and other people don't get it. We're just like, yeah, it's genetics just happens. Idiopathic is the word we use when you really don't know what something is. But <laughs> But really it is. And, and, you know, moisturizing goes so far with this, like just hydrating the skin during that stretching process is super helpful for preventing stretch marks. So looking for moisturizers that have hyaluronic acid, there's a few ingredients that have been shown to be helpful, like centella asiatica and hyaluronic acid specifically. So if you were going to use a moisturizer, use those, but you don't need to buy like a specific stretch mark cream. There's a lot of just body moisturizers that have those ingredients. And if you use those, those would be the best at preventing them. Now, once they've formed, they're almost like scars in the sense that you would actually have to physically treat them with a laser to improve them. Hmm. Yeah, because I think a lot of women, they're like, oh, I'm not getting any. And I was like, I always say, look at your mother, because that's where you're going to get an idea. And then they realize after the skin goes back and it you know, kind of deflates, if you will, they're like, oh my gosh, now I have them. Like you can't prevent them anymore. So you're saying lasers is kind of the way to go. Yeah, there's really, when you look at stretch marks, you split them into two categories. You have the white ones and then you have the purple red ones. Now, the purple red ones can be treated with a laser that specifically targets that redness. And so you'll have immediate result where we'll get rid of that part. The white part is a little bit harder to treat. You need to use treatments that actually boost collagen. So lasers and microneedling, radio frequency microneedling that will boost collagen and tighten the skin in those areas. And so once they form, they're much harder to treat. During the process, I think moisturizing does make a big difference. But all those like vitamin E oils and old wives tales, they they don't really stand right. the test of time. And yeah, when you say would, like radio frequency microneedling, is that kind of like a Morpheus 8 treatment or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a several out there. Radio frequency microneedling. Uh, they, they've done the best at branding. So everybody knows yeah. them the best. Yeah. Vivace. Uh, but the technology is, is, is microneedling with radio frequency. Okay. Okay, cool. And that's interesting to hear that you're saying, I mean, I think whenever doctors like just hydrate, I'm like, okay, whatever. Give, give me a needle. Give me something like, you know, you yeah. want something that <laughs> just feels like it m- might be more invasive because you, you know, no pain, no gain. But I do hear doctors all the times like sunscreen and, and hydration. Um, and I th- think most of us kind of roll our eyes, but uh, things with like, uh, like a hyaluronic acid, I've heard before that that actually like can't penetrate the skin. And so it's kind of like BS. Is that not true? Yeah. So it's somewhat true in the sense that it doesn't penetrate into the skin. Like if you look at your fillers, like your Juvederm and your Restylane, those are hyaluronic acid that we're injecting underneath the skin. 
But hyaluronic acid, the topical molecule that you see in your skincare products, don't penetrate below the epidermis. So they get into the epidermis, but they don't go below the epidermis. And therefore, they're not like something that's like going into the skin. But does it mean that it, it like has more of like a temporary hydration benefit? So I think the pitfall that hyaluronic acid has fallen into is that it does a great job with certain things like immediate hydration, plumping and glowing. Like before I do something like a podcast, I'm going to put on hyaluronic acid because oh. it's going to make me glowy and dewy. But it's not going to like boost collagen in your skin. It's not going to have long-term benefits. It's really just strictly for short-term hydration. And it's now been subject to this, like people think it's not a good ingredient because it doesn't do more than that, but it was never supposed to do more than that. It's just that people had over-promised what it could do. Got it. Got it. Interesting. And on, and on that note with the skin and what actually works, melasma for pregnant women, that's probably the number one thing I'm sure that you deal with for post-pregnancy. What causes it? What can you do about it? And how come someone would get it and some don't? Yeah, that's so the why some people get it and some don't, that's that's gonna be a genetic thing. And people okay. oftentimes with more pigment will get it, but you know, even if you have much lighter skin tones, you can end up with it. The two main contributors are definitely gonna be the hormones that happen during pregnancy and then sun exposure. You can't control the hormones, uh, but you can control the sun exposure piece of that. So sunscreen is super critical. With any treatment for melasma, if you're not wearing sunscreen, you're basically just it's like, you know, getting a car wash and then like driving through like a dirty puddle or something. Okay. Like yeah, I, I I get that little, the melasma mustache that's never gone away. And I find that even when I put on so much sunscreen, I'm like an avid hot yogi. So if I go into a heat environment, it also seems to trigger it. Is that also true? Yeah. So heat can definitely stimulate those melanocytes to release more pigment. So even procedures that produce heat, we have to be careful with. So that's one of the pitfalls. If you have darker skin tones, a lot of the lasers that are created produce some degree of heat and that heat can make pigmentation worse. And so if you're somebody who's prone to melasma, any procedure that's producing a lot of heat, especially at that top layer of the skin, which is why even when we talk about radio frequency, when you talk about Morpheus 8, the needles specifically, like this is something that your derm would know, but maybe not necessarily like the consumer would know. But there are like insulated tips that have no heat that's being produced in the actual needle in the epidermis. But once you get deeper into the dermis, it produces heat to tighten the skin. Now, if you have needles that are not insulated, it would make pigmentation worse. But if you have insulated needles, that's only producing heat in the dermis layer, then it won't make pigmentation worse. So you have to like really know what devices you're using if you oh, want to see good results. Because I've always wanted to do like a, a Morpheus on my face. I've done it on my stomach. But the doctors always tell me, you probably shouldn't do this because you are prone to melasma. And I'm like, oh, I want to, though. Um, I know. <laughs> so does so Morpheus 8 that? have the insulated needle? So I think Morpheus 8 has insulated needles. The device that we have has insulated needles. So I'd have to look at Morpheus. I would assume it's like the leading one on the market. So if it's not insulated, that would be bad. What do you uh, have? Maybe we can update this with some information on that. But yeah. yeah I, but just ask the question, you know, wherever you're getting it done, does your RF microneedling device have insulated needles? Because that's an important question to ask if you are prone to pigmentation. Good to know. Interesting. So with hyperpigmentation, what would you say is the best? Would it be a laser, a peel? What was, if, if someone is a mom and is like, I'm dealing with melasma, what's the first, of course, there's different skin tones too, so I'm sure it's specific, but what's the one thing that they should invest in to help with melasma? Yeah, I think I wish there was one thing and and uh, you're going to hate this answer, but it's definitely <laughs> going to be multifactorial treatments. But that's just to be realistic, because if I said there was like one treatment that would solve it all, then yeah. 
you know, then, then you'd be disappointed with that one treatment. So I think a combination can be very effective. So one, like getting your skincare routine down, which is like a topical treatment. That's really going to be effective for this tretinoin brightening agents as a tinted sunscreen specifically, because that helps with melasma more than other types of sunscreen. So you use those two things, right? Have the, have the skincare routine down and the sunscreen piece down and then get some procedures done. So I think a combination of chemical peels and laser procedures can be very effective for this. If you were said which is going to be most effective, I would probably say laser is going to give you a more consistent result. Now you have Fraxel, you have Pico, you have IPL, BBL that can be very effective this. And this would all depend on your skin tone, like which one would have probably the best results for you. So there's a lot of things that can be very effective for this, but if you're not doing the basic skincare, then you're kind of backwards. I have a quick question because you mentioned tinted sunscreen. Why is that better for you? Yeah, so tinted sunscreens, a lot of people think that they're only there for a makeup effect, that they're only like giving you that like hiding blemishes. But tinted sunscreens have iron oxides in them. And those iron oxides and studies have been shown to block visible light, which also contributes to your pigmentation. Whereas your typical sunscreens don't actually block visible light. They only block UV light. So that visible light that's contributing specifically to melasma is not blocked by your traditional sunscreens. And that's why I recommend tinted sunscreens. I love that. that. I use the Elastin makes a really nice tinted Mm -hmm. moisturizer uh, with with SPF in it. And then I've heard before, too, that if like zinc isn't the first ingredient, like what, what makes some SPF better than others? Yeah, it depends on who you talk to there. I mean, they all do the same thing, right? Like you basically are looking at the SPF rating and this is going to be split. And your community who's listening to this is going to be very split because there's some who will say, I'll never use a chemical sunscreen. Chemicals are bad. I'm a derm. So like I live on one side of the spectrum where I'm like any sunscreen is better than no sunscreen. So I don't care if it's chemical. I don't care if it's mineral or zinc oxide based. I think the main thing is that chemical sunscreens tend to cause more allergies in people. That's scientifically proven. And then your mineral sunscreens tend to be less allergenic, but they also tend to create more of a pasty appearance. So people hate the way that like a zinc oxide or a titanium oxide blends on their skin. Now there are, there are new sunscreens that blend much better, but even then you're always going to have a little bit of a white cast with a zinc oxide based sunscreen. But as long as for me, especially with, with like melasma, if you're at the SPF 40 or 50 level, you're going to get the protection you need regardless of what the ingredients are. Okay. That SPF level is FDA tested. Okay. So it doesn't, cause I've also heard that like anything after 30 is just BS. It's that it's kind of all the same after a certain level. Kind of. I mean, you definitely have heard. So you get 97% blockage at an SPF 30. And then when you go to SPF 50, you're at 98%. But the problem is that those SPF levels and protection that you get is that it is at like the perfect lab conditions, which means that you're applying it every two hours. Mm. You're applying as much as they, they have to use in the study, which is actually a pretty thick layer. And so based on the way that people actually use sunscreen, you will probably get like a noticeably better protection if you go higher in the SPF range. But for me, as long as it's SPF 30, I'm pretty much happy because you're going to be okay. get it. You're blocking most of those rays at that point. Okay. And then just there, one last, sorry, Krista, just one that, last thing on the SPF thing. So somebody like you who, who clearly has more melanin in their skin than me, is it more important that I'm wearing sunscreen, not just to prevent burning, but for like aging? Like, am I going to look old faster than you are if I don't wear sunscreen? <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, so that is true. So the more <laughs> melanin you have, the more sun protection you have inherently, which means that you're more likely to burn than I am. You're more likely to age. The UVA that damages collagen. So you're more likely to age faster. That's not true for everybody, but it tends to 
hold up and then um, you're more at higher risk for skin cancer. Oh, but wow. that being said, then a lot of people who are darker skin tones that don't burn feel like they shouldn't wear sunscreen, but you're still going to get aging. You're still going to get pigmentation. You're still going to be at risk for skin cancer. So I think everybody needs to wear sunscreen, but I think, yes, like your risks are higher than mine. Okay. So but you're confirming said, black don't crack, cancer. but to an extent. <laughs> I was exactly. exactly. But I got a skin cancer is the whole, the whole, because I used to do a lot of, I was part of the gym tan laundry generation. Oh my God. Uh, I think you're all younger than me, Yeah. but I was part oh, of no. the, that, that generation. And so I did a lot of the booth tanning. So I actually got a skin cancer before, oh. obviously I was a dermatologist. Wow. You, you had skin cancer. On my chest from tanning boots. Wow. Because I I was the same GTL, you know, t-shirt tan gal. So I I worked at a tanning salon. So I oh tanned, my oh my gosh, almost every day for years, for a couple of years. You know, you're 18, 19, you don't think of anything for skin. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, what can someone do, if anything, to reverse any damage? Is there anything you can do? Yeah, retinoids like retinol, tretinoin, they've been shown to reverse some of the damage that's done uh, with sun over time. And then just like making good decisions going forward because you can't go back in time. I was the same 18, yeah. 19, my gym. I went to Planet Fitness. They had unlimited tanning. I was there every day. <laughs> yeah. um, so what funny. a mess. But, you know, now we know better. So. Yeah. Self tanners are safe. Now I lie in the so, red light beds instead of my clouds come full red circle. Red light's great, though. Red light actually boosts collagen production. It's great for the skin. Yeah, I, I, love, I love it. But it was it was kind of making my melasma worse because of the heat, just because I yes. think it's, it's hot in those beds. So, yeah. Well, I want to get into all things injections. I've done Botox. I've done filler. So I guess we want to start off. I know you have a couple questions with threads. So all the cosmetic fun stuff. I'm someone who I did the under eye filler, which the doctor who should not be, she was a doctor and surgeon, should have not injected my face, but lesson learned. I know people want under eye filler, especially the moms with the under eyes, but it's a very sensitive subject and should be a last resort filler. Is that right? So, yeah. So I think when you're looking at getting filler in the eyes, like the, what the practitioner should be doing is asking is first, do you even need filler? Because if you don't have under eye hollows that are actually volume loss related, then putting filler in there is just going to make you look puffy and abnormal. Now, if you actually have true volume sunken in uh, eye hollows, then putting a little bit of volume in there can go a really long way. But it can swell with time. They don't they don't dissolve as quickly as we used to think. We used to say, oh, six months to a year, they're all gone. And then now MRIs are showing that they're staying around much longer and that they they actually migrate slightly. And so if you're going to do it, you have to do it very thoughtfully and make sure that you're only putting in a small amount. And like, I'd rather do a little bit amount and not have great results than put in a ton and end up looking like super puffy or abnormal. And fat transfers become more has become more popular because it has less less issues with that compared to filler lately. But this, these go back and forth. And there's a new filler being approved for under eyes, so that should be interesting to see. Because oh right God. now there's no filler that's actually approved for under eyes. We just do it off label. Interesting. Well, cause, yeah, because I have. I, it's interesting you talk about migration because I was like, wow, I look like I slept. This looks amazing. And probably two or three years, probably two years in, I noticed when I smile really big, I have like a bump and they said it migrated. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to let it time pass. It's going to dissolve. And it's still there like four years later. So on that note, can you talk about dissolving filler and the pros and cons of, of doing so? Yeah. So, so dissolving filler um, is, is really popular right now. And there's really no downsides other than it's pretty expensive, those vials to have it dissolved. It the, the common question that people will ask is because you're injecting hyaluronic acid and then you're using what we use to dissolve filler is hyaluronidase. It's a enzyme that breaks up hyaluronic acid. 
Is it going to damage your natural hyaluronic acid? These have different like cross-linking, so it's not a problem with this. So it won't like damage your underlying skin. So it will melt that away. You need a lot of uh, injections to make it happen, but it can, and there's really no downside other than cost. It can be a little bit painful. Um, and when you lose volume anywhere, think about it, you're going to look a little bit more wrinkly in that area, right? So like, say that you're like a, a tomato and then you lose volume or you're a, you're a raisin, you're a, sorry, a grape and you lose volume and you become a raisin. It's sort of the same process where if you lose a lot of volume by getting your, your, your areas dissolved, will almost be like a zempic face in the sense that you'll look a little bit more wrinkly because you lost volume. Mm. Oh, can we talk about a zempic? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah <laughs> is that a derm topic? I guess maybe. Yeah, I've sure it has well, some kind skin. Of, I've, I've heard that it can cause you to look old and hollow and no one knows the long-term effects of ozempic yet, but I imagine there has to be some crazy long-term effects on your skin. I don't think long-term effects on the skin. I mean, long, if there's long-term effects, it will be probably more related to the body because of the way yeah. that it regulates like insulin and glucagon production. Um, but people lose a ton of weight on Ozempic. It was initially approved for diabetes. So it's like, a, it's a great medication. So I don't want to like talk bad about it because it was approved for diabetes and it was approved for weight loss. And it really helps to pe keep people healthier because these really high sugar levels are horrible for the body and they damage the kidneys and the heart and all these areas. So wonderful medication. Um, it basically, it basically makes you so you're not that hungry and your stomach doesn't empty as quickly. And so you feel more full, you eat less, it drops your sugar levels and you're overall healthier on the inside. As a result, people are losing a lot of weight. And so then it became popularized for weight loss. And when you lose a lot of weight rapidly, it doesn't matter how you lose it. Like if you get a gastric bypass or a gastric sleeve, or you exercise rapidly and you lose a ton of weight, or if you have cancer and you lose a lot of weight, Anytime you lose a lot of weight rapidly, you're always going to look a little bit more wrinkly because you've lost volume. So no matter how you lose it, whether it's Ozempic or any other way, you're going to have that hollowed out look. And when you lose volume, you always look a little bit older. And that's where you'd want to use like tightening procedures mm. to bring the skin back in so that it's not as wrinkly and stretched out. So it's not necessarily an Ozempic problem. It's a weight loss problem. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that Interesting. makes sense. Yeah, I um, know. I've noticed you can kind of tell all of a sudden when someone loses 30 pounds in three weeks and all of a sudden they've got under eyes and the buckle fat. I know you want to talk about buckle fat, Aurora. That was a popular thing to do. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't I personally don't think it looks I don't think yeah. it's a good look, but I don't know. You're not doing surgery, though, right? You're doing like the, just the skin. You're not removing buckle fat from people's faces, are you? I don't do buckle fat no, removal. Yeah. That's a plastic surgery or an ENT yeah. thing. I definitely have opinions about buckle fat removal, but <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, it's not. It's not in my wheelhouse. But yeah, you have to decide whether or not you think it looks good. And like I said, like if you think about it, when people get really old, like they start to look, they lose a lot of the fat in their face, and that tends to make them look older. So when you remove fat from your face, like people always say, like somebody has like uh, baby cheeks or you know they have baby fat. And baby fat makes people look younger. So basically, when you're doing buckle fat removal, you're removing baby fat, which makes you look more structured, more model-like. But it can also make you look older because you're removing that baby fat. Basically. Right. Yeah, there's such a fine line that, you know, people want to look gaunt until it, it looking gaunt when you're young kind of works. But then like looking gaunt when you're older, you just look old. I don't know. Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you look great, but in five years, what will you look like? We don't know. Right. I have so a question I'm, about like oral supplementation uh, when it pertains to the skin. Is there anything that you really recommend either for like sun protection or just youthfulness in general that you can take as an oral supplement? Yeah. So that's a good question. So, so 
oral supplements for like sun protection, uh, there's actually niacinamide supplements. I think it's 500 milligrams twice a day has been shown to decrease the risk of skin cancer in patients that are high risk. So that's protective. Polypodium leucotomus is a supplement that's used uh, as like, it's really actually helpful for melasma as well, but it's like a sun protect. It comes from like fern. It's a like fern block it's known as. It basically blocks a lot of the damage from the sun. So it's not like wearing sunscreen, but it's like a sunscreen supplement. You still need to wear sunscreen, but it's going to give you additive benefits. Otherwise, like the other stuff for the skin, you know, hit or miss, like collagens become very popular collagen supplements. And the data is kind of like mixed on it. I used to be a real hater of collagen supplements. Some of the new science has maybe moved me a little bit more central. Uh, I'd still like to see better data on it, mm. but I don't know. There's people who swear by it and I have friends who are like, I did it and it changed my life. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. If, if it's, if it sticks around for like another year or two and it really like, then it has some staying power, then, then I'll, then I'll be more of a believer. But for me, like things that come in and it's like only lasts like a few months or a year, they're just trends that never stand the test of time, then they're probably not that great for you. No, but it's like billion dollar industry that it too, like That's you got crazy. the Vita glows, you got the, the K or I know a lot of different brands that make us like, you know, a mix it, you mix it into the water. And I've heard there's certain ways you're supposed to take it. You have to take it on an empty stomach and, and supposedly they're doing like double blind, you know, placebo trial, all the things. And, and it makes your call. But, but then how is, how are they testing if you have more collagen in your face? I guess just by the way you look or I had to look at how they're looking at the endpoints in the study because that's a really good question actually and that's a question that scientists should be asking and they don't ask it enough is like yeah. what is your endpoint like is it consumer perception study where the page the person who themselves in the study is saying I think I look better is it a derm who's saying I looked at the before I looked at the after you look better now are they biopsying the skin and looking right. at collagen content after taking the supplement we don't know now there are some people that have been like radio tagging and, and I'm like, I might be making this up because it's like a second hand. I heard this from somebody else and I never checked myself. So just like, don't quote me on this, but I've heard they've been like radio tagging it with like something where you can like see if that collagen uh, is actually like going to the skin. Huh. And so like, like the one that's in the gut, they tag it and then they see if those amino acids are actually ending up in the skin. And apparently they are. Oh. Um, I could be wrong. It could be somebody who's trying to sell me something. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm on the fence. I, 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 I want to buy it. I don't know. Just send me the link. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, on the note of, of what you can take orally, because I saw one of your TikTok videos about for hair and you said a no-go on biotin. So yeah. So biotin has actually been that. studied extensively for hair loss and has never been really shown consistently to be helpful for hair loss. You end up, because it's a water-soluble vitamin, that the more biotin you take, most of the time, you're just going to pee it out and it's not really going to do anything. So they say in the United States, we have the most expensive pee in the world because of all the supplements <laughs> we take. I definitely um, do. <laughs> most of the stuff you yeah, I'm a sucker. Yeah. So, so with biotin, it's never been shown consistently. In fact, it's been actually shown to be harmful in some ways. The FDA issued a, a like an alert a few years ago and it just kind of didn't end up in popular media much. But the alert was that it was it was causing confusion on lab testing. So it was causing abnormal thyroid hormone levels. It was causing abnormal cardiac levels if people are having heart attacks and pregnancy tests were becoming like either wrongly or incorrectly positive in some cases or negative in some cases because not because it's actually causing harm in the body, but because the biotin actually affects the test. And so you have to just be careful if you're taking biotin supplements for that reason, but it's just not been shown 
to be helpful for hair loss. So there's there's better supplements for hair yeah, loss. Yeah, I know because I've had great results, really kind of remarkable results with with certain hair growth supplements. There's a whole list of them. And I feel like there's other ingredients in there that are more, that are making these results that are not biotin, like a vitamin A or a K or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, what, yeah, what supplements do work? So they've done a lot of studies on this. So like uh, salt palmetto is helpful, but it also has some side effects with it. Pumpkin seed oil has actually been shown more consistently to be helpful for both male and female pattern hair loss. So pumpkin seed oil by mouth. Uh, let's see. There's like a few others. Like topically, mm-hmm. rosemary oil has been shown to be helpful. Peppermint oil has been shown to be helpful. Caffeine, mm-hmm. maybe yes or no. So there's like a few natural supplements that have been helpful. But if your diet is deficient, like if you're vegan and you're not getting like enough biotin, then maybe it's like helpful to take a biotin supplement. But for the most people who have like, you know, comprehensive diets and are eating, getting all the natural nutrients that they should be getting, uh, vegans can get that as well. But like some people that are like very on very restrictive diets don't get the the type of amino acids and the type of vitamins that they need. They would benefit more from supplements than people that have a more comprehensive diet. Do you take a hair supplement because you got great hair? Great hair. I no. Well, actually, I just I'm going through my shedding phase because uh, I started <laughs> taking oral minoxidil. So oral minoxidil, like so, Rogaine is a topical treatment, but it was initially not to go into a crazy history story here, but hit like minoxidil or Rogaine was initially discovered as a hair, as a, as a blood pressure medication that we took by mouth and everybody in the study started growing hair, everybody everywhere. And so then they said, Oh, maybe this helps with hair. And so then they created Rogaine as a topical. And now it's become, they've been studying it a lot for hair loss by mouth more. And it's been shown to be more effective than almost any treatment for hair loss at this point. So I started an oral minoxidil treatment but I'm going through the shedding phase there. So I'm just trying to hang out of my hair because everyone in my family went bald by my age. So. Oh, wow. Well, that's, well that's, that's, that's interesting. I'm literally writing all these down, by the way. Because <laughs> I, think, I think that's another thing too, is like men feel shame around hair loss. It's like a man's worst fear. I so, like a bald guy, but that's just me. I, I, I but love you have to own guy. it. You have to shave the whole head. You, can't you have, to, you have to commit. Yeah, you can't you hang on to the Mr. last. Mr. Clean was you hot. You have to go okay? one way or the other. You have to say, yeah. I'm I'm going to keep my hair and I'm going to fight for it or I'm going yes. to get totally. rid of it. Totally. You can't have the poor, the poor guys that like have the comb over. You're like, just just pick it, man. <laughs> You're not fooling any of us. <laughs> or take it. minoxidil, right? So minoxidil is something that we can suggest to our husbands, boyfriends who are living in you know, fear right now. Right. So topical minoxidil or oral minoxidil or oral finasteride. There's a lot of treatments for men out there. Um, You can hang on to your hair if you're committed to it nowadays. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's really, that's a good, that's good news we got here, guys. Bicket. I like this term though. Bicket. Yeah. Just bicket. Just just do it. (laughs) I don't know that term. Okay. I have a question about threads because, you know, we live in, in, well, I live in Los Angeles. She was in San Diego, but I feel like it was a fad a little while back. I never got them, but I because it just the idea of it kind of freaks me out. So yeah. this is threads that they put under the skin to kind of pull your skin back. Um, and how do you feel about them? This is actually one of the more controversial things. Like there are people that hate them and then there are people that love them and there are still derms that do them. And so I'm kind of in between. I don't personally do threads myself. I think that threads got a really bad rap because of what they were made of before. People would get a lot of nodules and where they were placed, people you could see them. Mm. There are a lot of people that look really unnatural when they smile now because they had threads at some point that just didn't dissolve properly. And so now the newer threads or PDO threads, they absorb a little bit better. If you have, if you go to someone who's skilled that places them not too high on the surface, but below the skin, 
and do it correctly, it can look nice. It's like a mini facelift. Yeah. It's not like my favorite treatment because it has a lot of complications and the results sometimes don't last that long and they're pretty expensive to have done. But if you go to somebody who has really good before and afters and you talk to somebody who actually went there and had a good experience and they don't look at unnatural and don't have like weird smile lines, uh, then it can be nice. The The newer technologies are much better than the old technologies. Cool. I, when you say um, weird smile lines, it reminds me of, I just re- I've been getting Botox maybe like every eight months to a year since, I don't even know, for a while now, maybe like five or six years. And I'm 34. So that was kind of early. People didn't used to start getting both. But now I'm like kind of anti-Botox because I noticed that like if I smile, it would like kind of pull, my face would pull weird. I don't know. How do you feel about Botox? Do you think it's over prescribed? I kind of feel like I got a little too Botox happy and maybe I look better without it. Yeah, I mean, it's very effective at what it does, stopping muscle contraction. I think if it's done correctly, it can look nice and it can look natural. I think you do get some muscle atrophy with, you definitely get muscle atrophy with time. I know that's debated. I don't know why that's debated because like it 100% causes muscle atrophy. With and what time. does that mean? So your, your muscles become weaker with time. Uh, it's just like if you don't use, like when your muscles become weaker, they become, it's like when, do you see people getting masseter Botox? I've done it before, yeah. And you know how it's like thins your jaw? Uh, oh, I, I did it for clenching. Yeah. yeah I didn't know it, cl- it because they're too boxy. They, 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 well, they feel they're too boxy. Right. So they yeah. Get it. Okay. And, and the reason why it thins the jaw out is because it atrophies the master muscle. And so it like becomes less bulky with time because you're not using it. Makes sense. And so it will, it atrophies your muscles. And so if not done correctly or, or you do too much of it, you could start to look a little bit unnatural for the most part, people who are doing it and who are skilled will take this all into consideration. I personally like the idea of it doing it less often like you do. I think a lot of derms are going to hate me for saying this because they get their <laughs> yeah, this is our bread and butter. <laughs> Botox yeah, yeah. But like I honestly, I personally do in nine months like you do because you get the muscle movement again after three months. So you're able to bulk back up to natural movement, but you're not getting the etched in lines. Like mm-hmm. I still want to be able to like make expression. Right. I just don't want to like walk in with deep lines. And right. So by doing it less often, you avoid the deep lines but you still get the natural movement that you'd want. So I'm kind of with you with that. I mean, I think it's safe for long-term use. So I don't want to scare anybody out of yeah. using it. Um, I, it's got like some of the least side effects of any cosmetic procedure we do. To be okay. I, I've had it here before too on my traps, which first of all, you need a lot. So it's kind of expensive. And then you need it. I, I think it's something you would need more often. The goal was to kind of make it relax a little bit so that it like looked more feminine in shirts you know not that I looked like a linebacker but some people do have more sloped shoulders over here so I tried that I liked it do you ever get clients or patients coming in asking for that I've never had like like people like there's a lot of uh neurologists that inject into the traps and into the neck for like tension headaches I've never injected anybody for that purpose for like bulky mm-hmm. traps like <laughs> I think if you have certain types of posture you can have more of like a hunchback appearance if you like hold yourself a certain way and so using that it could work you definitely need to use a ton yeah to be able to achieve because this is a thick this is a giant muscle yeah. so yeah in order to like actually paralyze it in a meaningful way like you would need to like <laughs> you would need to inject a ton. But um, but yeah, I mean, it could work for that. You can use Botox for so many things. I mean, you could use it. I mean, it's used for headaches. It's used for bladder spasms. It's yeah. used for sweating. It's used for, I've done that. for uh, eye spasms. Like So anything that you need to like paralyze muscle or stop sweating, it's very effective for that. I, isn't it true that you can inject or do Botox with, like in your vagina for your vagina tightening too? Really? 
I don't I see I how it that. would tighten the vagina theoretically. And my wife is a OBGYN urogynecologist. So she would know the answer to this better. <laughs> they use it in her field for bladder spasms. People who like have urge incontinence where they oh, like suddenly gosh. have to pee all of a sudden and can't control it. So they'll inject Botox to paralyze that muscle. If you inject Botox into the vagina, my thought is that it would make it less he's like as a thought. man and a husband yeah. i am not vouching for this yeah. well, okay, I, have, I have a question too on, on injections because like i said i had kind of a black story with going to a surgeon who's used to people being under and she should have had a nurse and an injector is there an importance to going to someone like not buying you know botox on groupon guys it's going to a either you know board certified dermatologist or and i'm not sure if you're also this a master injector there is there importance to that yeah, I mean, I, I think, okay, so so the question is, there, the problem is that you're at a massive disadvantage, like as the consumer, because there's just so many like competing marketing mm-hmm. out there that like makes you feel like you should be safe and maybe you're not type of thing where you don't like necessarily know what the skills and training are of the person that you're going to see. And they oftentimes will like hide it behind so many different things. Like I have this degree and that degree and I'm an injector and I'm a cosmetic surgeon. And that's like a cosmetic surgeon is not even a thing. Like it doesn't even exist. It's not oh, a real medical specialty. Here. So, Interesting. So like, there's so many things that make you feel like you're safe when maybe you're not. And those people can be very skilled. So that's the trouble is like, you could have one guy who's saying I'm a master injector and they're great. I can say, you can say, in <laughs> fact, all of you, everybody who's listening to this can say that they're a master injector and nobody's going to stop them. Like, even if you've never injected anything in your life. Now, there are certain terms that are like, you can't say, like, you can't say you're a board certified dermatologist unless you're board certified by the American Board of Dermatology. Um, and so you can't say you're a board certified plastic surgeon, but you can say you're a, like, you're a cosmetic surgeon and no one's going to stop you. You can wow. actually even say you're a dermatologist and no one's going to stop you, but you can't say that you're a board certified dermatologist because that's a protected term. So, so that doesn't make it any easier for anybody who's listening to this. There are very skilled mastered injectors. There are very skilled nurse practitioners physician assistants, dermatologists, plastic surgeons out there. You really like referrals from other people that had good experiences, super important. Talking to like looking at their office staff, seeing how their work is, like talking to them about their experiences, not necessarily looking at the injector themselves. A lot of times they don't necessarily do good work on themselves, nor do they maybe care that much about the way that they look as much as like, that is interesting. yeah, their injector, like their injector can sometimes not really, but regardless, it's very difficult. And I think that you just really need to talk to as many people because your skin health and your health overall is going to be the most important thing. And you need to prioritize that. And there's a lot of competing things out there and profits are usually those things that are trying to like get people to go one direction over the other. And I've seen some really bad outcomes as a result of that. And there are people that use fake Botox. They use fake, uh, oh. they order them from like other like overseas and they're not even like the original product and they're tainted. And so just like definitely be like pay a little bit more to get like the right stuff done because the price differences aren't that much. It's not going to be like double. It's like a 20% difference, but pay that extra 20% to go to somebody who knows what they're doing. Interesting. What are the current trends or what do you see is trending in, in the dermatology field right now? Branding, I think Morpheus 8 is big right now. Radio frequency microneedling is huge. So anytime you see like a big wave, then you're going to hear like a big wave of side effects that had bad outcomes. So just wait for that. Like, yeah, like yeah. you're going to hear the, the <laughs> downside of RF microneedling soon enough. So that's huge. Masseter Botox is big right now. I don't know if it's just on my feed, but like everyone seems to be getting it done. Everyone seems to be coming in wanting to get it done. What Let's was that see. called? 
The masseter uh, Botox. The Botox and the masseter muscle. Which is, oh, oh, got I would it, think got people it. would like that angular look. I guess maybe if you naturally have big a big jaw. I don't know. Because for the most part, men, especially, I feel like they, they get inject, they get uh, filler there. If a man gets that's a filler, right. that's the place got, he's going to get it. I got it. filler there. Oh, you did? Because my... Yeah, because once I hit 30, everything was looking so long all of a sudden. I lost that baby fat. Everything looked long. So I got filler in my jaw to add a little structure. And I, I love it. Huh. That's, see, that's, that's always so interesting to me. And I always say mm-hmm. this to people because they come in, they say, I want. So this person comes in, they have a friend who got master Botox. They love the way it looks. And maybe because they really had a very prominent jaw that looked very boxy. And so they're happy. But then you come in and you say, well, I want master Botox too, because they loved it. But you have a weaker jaw and... You have some sagging underneath the chin. And actually what you need is to lift this area and it will look better. So that's why like, I think that you just need to go to somebody like who you can say what your problem is and they can give you like a solution that actually makes sense for you. Cause it's so much more of an art than it is like a science, like cosmetic specifically. Um, Yeah. I agree. I always, I always love when I go to a dermatologist or a nurse and when they tell me no to something, I'm like, okay, you know what you're talking about. Cause there's people who are just yes people. And they're like, sure, I'll give you more filler. And you're like, that's going to look crazy on you. You shouldn't do that. I'm like, I, I like when people tell me no, honestly, because it is an art, you have to be a perfectionist and it's, it's your face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go to somebody who says no frequently. Cause that's going to be like the person who really has your best interest in mind. I love that. I love that so much. And then just real quick, because I want to talk about food, because I know we talked about ingredients and supplements. Is there certain things So people will say like, oh, I'm getting acne on my chin, which I believe is hormonal. Are there any foods that, or is it, you know, per person basis, foods that we should absolutely, or drinks or alcohol that we should stay away from to protect our skin? There's no good data on this. And because it's so hard to get data on this, like, Imagine like having to track someone's entire diet and everything they're ingesting and then contributing that to acne. It's very difficult to do those studies. Sugar has been like high glycemic diets have been consistently shown to make acne worse. And just sugar is super pro-inflammatory. So it's just bad for the body in general. So I'd say like the one thing would be decreasing your like glycemic index would probably be the best thing that you can do for your skin. And then I think after that, probably dairy, sometimes some forms of dairy can be pretty pro-inflammatory skim milk can cause acne in some people. Chocolate is like hit or miss. I find that people, especially as you get older, you kind of know what breaks you out. Like for me, it's like mm-hmm. Reese's cups. I And if I told a derm, like as a derm, if someone came into me and said, oh, Reese's cups break me out, I'd be like, you're insane. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think that you just learn to know yourself a little bit better. And even if the studies say it doesn't cause acne, but you know, it makes your skin worse then I could just cut that out. But like, uh, like avoiding like gluten and things like that, unless you have a true gluten intolerance, those types of things aren't going to like really have a benefit on your skin. I don't believe, I don't believe in gluten allergies. I just think that we're allergic to the pesticides that is in gluten. So but that's another, that's another, uh, no one was allergic to gluten 20 years ago. No, that's a good point. So there's a real condition called celiac disease where a breakdown product of gluten, you actually develop antibodies to it. Um, So that's like true or true thing, but the majority of people that probably have a sensitivity to gluten where they just feel sick or don't feel good. Those people probably are not having any problems with gluten. And it could be something else that they're, so you're probably spot on with that, but there's like a subsect, a very small subsect of people that are truly intolerant to gluten. Yeah. And they're all coming for you, Kristen. So watch yeah. out. <laughs> Perfect. Give me all the engagement. Okay, guys. Comment below. Let me know about your gluten allergy. 
So, okay. So we're going to wrap this up. First of all, I feel like I could talk to you for hours because I, I just love all things skin and derm and the fountain of youth. Is there a fountain of youth actually? Would you say there is something that we can do besides HGH? I actually want to hear your thoughts about that too. Is there a fountain of youth out there that we can buy or maybe splurge on? Ooh, okay. So buy or splurge on fountain of youth. No, I mean, there really isn't. There's like just consistently taking care of your skin, like getting a chemical peel and microneedling every like three months or getting a laser procedure done like once a year and then wearing sunscreen and using retinol. If you do those things, I mean, you'll probably have the best you can get, you know, that that's pretty much it. There's no like secret sauce for sure. And HGH, I mean, that, it works, but it's like, it's got so many side effects. I mean, you're going to, mm-hmm. like, it makes everything grow. Human growth hormone makes everything grow. So your, your organs will grow, your heart will grow, your liver will grow, your hands will oh, grow, wow. you know? So like it causes like, look up like what HGH looks like over time in people. And you start to look very, very, very abnormal. Interesting. I'm thinking well, like well, Sylvester I, Stallone or something. I don't yeah. know. Just, just look like more of everything. Well, I, thought, I, I, I know that with doctors. Dr. Dre. Well, first of all, I know a guy who's on HGH and he's 50 and he looks 12. He looks amazing. Okay. Oh, hmm. But then I think of like Dr. Dre who definitely got on it and his hands, like everything was so big. I'm like, he's like an avatar. It was, it was <laughs> nuts. It yeah. was crazy. And then you mentioned retinol and you also mentioned retinoid earlier. Cause I think this is a common question people have is what's the difference between the two? Yeah. So I just, I'm sort of using them interchangeably here, but so, so retinoids are the family of vitamin A derivatives. And so like every other vitamin A derivative falls under this. So retinol, tretinoin, adapalene, tazeratine, isotretinoin all fall underneath this retinoid umbrella. And so whether you get a prescription tretinoin or you get an over-the-counter retinol, they're all going to have similar benefits. It's just one stronger than the other. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I've had great results with retinol. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I don't know if there's anything that you want to plug. Is there, I mean, obviously we're all going to follow you on TikTok. If if there's anything anywhere else that we can find you or any, I I don't know if you've written a book, but I think you should because I would buy it. (laughs) Uh, I wrote a book, but we're waiting to like fully publish it. Okay. Okay. So we'll hold off on that. We'll come back for a plug. I don't have anything to plug. Uh, Just take care of your skin, uh, protect your skin in the sun. Follow me on Instagram because I have 999,000 followers. I know. We were like, today's going to be the day. Followers to get me to a million. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, thank you so much. We'll hit you up when we're in North Carolina next and take all of these uh, tips so we can just look young and be healthy. And thank you. You have answered so much today. Our listeners are going to be so excited. You know, these were the best questions I think I've ever gotten on any podcast or interview oh, ever. Yes. Like, it's, it's true. It seems that you are truly enthusiasts. We of are taking care of your skin. So I we love are. to see that. Awesome. Well, thank um, you so, so much. Thank you all it. for bringing me on. Thank you. Have a good day. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.